When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Age of Radio. Hey, hey, oil, and I'm sailor. What up, G? Yo, my friend. Uh, I don't know how to do this. Uh, edit, um, just a little editorial note. Jason uh, was without lights for about a week. Look, I know the Florida hurricane's getting all the headlines, but we up here in the Maritimes got walloped by a Category 2 hurricane last week. And the place that I was staying was out power for eight whole days, Brendan. And I'm telling you, it's real good to have power back because I don't want to live in the past. I want to live in the future, man. You want to live in the now. That's right. Now, if scientists, if you're listening, and I know you are, All get on that cold fusion thing. I want to have a generator at my house that I can mm-hmm. throw banana peels and coffee cans into and just power shit. So do it, like, now, okay? It's like, get on it. Like, what are you even doing right now? Trying to cure diseases? And they keep trying this hot fusion shit. It's like, man, a million degrees is a lot of degrees. What if the degrees were none? Yeah, a million degrees. Imagine a million degrees of, uh, of separation from Kevin Bacon. I mean, is that I, even possible? I, certainly not only on this planet, I would say. I would say we, we all got to be within like seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. I think mathematically that's the case. I think, well, six degrees. Was Jason Patrick ever in uh, a movie with Kevin Bacon? Because you'd be two degrees. Well, Jason Patrick... Oh, you're right. But yeah. if even if he was in a movie with someone who was in a movie with Kevin Bacon, I'd still only be three degrees. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Jason, that's not... I don't think Ron Maxwell directed Kevin Bacon. No, I believe Ron Maxwell di- directed Flatliners, so I think <laughs> only two degrees from Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Guys, if you don't know, I was, in a, I, was, I was kind of the star of Copperhead. No big deal. Brendan was the um, star of pro-Confederate propaganda, and he's proud of it to this day. Yes, um, I said I won't be in the film unless it's absolute. It's made absolutely clear in the plot that the Confederacy was the only winning side. And he signed. And up. Ron Maxwell looked at me with his big uh, eyes, with tears forming, and said, "You, sir, are a patriot." And the rest is history. And the rest is history, folks. And that's why Brennan has a shelf full of awards. Oh, and it's memorabilia. Don't be offended by the by the images. It's just memorabilia. Best background actor, Sons of Confederate Veterans, 2010. Wow, that's impressive, Brendan. Well, thank you, thank you. Uh, that I put that next to my uh, next next to my all my copies of Copperhead. <laughs> you, I mean, you you keep a Copperhead. You have the most extensive Copperhead library in uh, yes. the Northern Hemisphere. I have the uh, I have the DVD. I have the Blu-ray. I have the HD DVD. I have the uh, the novelization, of course. Um, you even had have a the... custom laser disc made. I did. I also have this uh, a spec script signed by one of the other background actors. Um, 
And I have a, a, a jar filled with some of the dirt from King's Landing where we filmed. Oh, that's so nice. That's yeah. so nice. But we're not here to talk about your filmography, Brendan. No, this is a long bit of nothing. Yes. As we haven't even introduced who we are, what we are, what we do. All right. Well, who are you? I'm Brendan. And who am I? I'm Jason. And this is a podcast called For Screen and Guntre. Jason, what do we do on this podcast? Well, normally we watch usually British movies, usually on a list of some sort, and we try to rearrange things for our own benefit. We did that with the British Film Institute's Top 100 list way back. We did that with some Canadian movies, because we had to get those in there for our own uh, jerk-off sessions. And now we're working on the Empire list. But right now, that's not what we're doing. We're taking a little side quest, a little breaky, as Alex Jones might say. And we are watching movies that are somewhat similar to movies that we have already watched. And Brendan, what is this week's movie? Well, and we should mention that this segment is called, and now for something completely similar. Okay, now and yes. tell the people what yes. the movie is. Well, this week's movie is connected somewhat um, in that it is this director's second movie after we talked about a movie, one of his movies that was on the list in Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. Because this week's movie is Guy Ritchie's film Snatch. We don't do that for these ones. It's me on the flute. And there's a diamond. Okay. So Guy Ritchie's Snatch. I think it's pretty clear that both of us had seen this movie. Yes. I saw this movie on DVD back in the day and bought it at some point and watched it. Over the years, but it had been quite a while since my last watch. Probably 15 years minimum, I would say. Now, I don't want to confuse the people. Jason, when I say Guy Ritchie Snatch, I am not referring to Guy Ritchie's vagina. No. Um, I'm referring to a film called Snatch. So we promise. And directed by Guy Ritchie. From here on out, just to avoid confusion, if we are talking about Guy Ritchie's vagina, we will say Guy Ritchie's gash. And we, will right. look, and we will refer to the movie as Guy Ritchie's Snatch. That's, that's horrible. That, I don't want but, to say but, that but, ever. Well, we, look, we got to keep this clear for people. Right. We don't want any confusion. We don't want the morality and or the PC police coming after us for mixing it up. Oh, yeah, because they'll definitely love us saying gash. Look, I think that's a polite term in some circles. Yeah, let's just talk like the fucking motorcycle gang on Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> That, that's 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 the you know if anything if, if Sons of Anarchy was about one thing it was uh, feminism. That's right. That was right. They really did support their women folk. Yeah, yeah. Ron Perlman uh, was basically the Alan Alda of that show. <laughs> Just as funny too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're both. Yeah, laugh riot. Um. Yeah. So so the movie Snatch it came out in two thousand and one. Uh, where Lockstock was released in 1998, so only three years after his See, uh, his first feature film. Can we check that date briefly? I have to call into question this because I have seen this date as different in various places. So let's see. 2000. Smash. 2000. 2000, but I want to know the exact release date. In the UK, it was released on August 23rd, 2000. Here's my confusion, Jason. In the US, it came out in January 2001. Okay, so that's that's the confusion there. I got you, I got you. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. So, so it is cleared up. This movie was released originally in the year 2000. Year 2000. But but us in the U.S., Canada. <laughs> I just realized I said us and then I said the U.S. 
Um, Canada and the U.S. would know of it as a 2001 film, but yes. in the U.K. they would have had it uh, about, you know, four or five months earlier. Mm-hmm. Very important information. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. No problem. So, Snatch. Um, Jason, I know this is like a labyrinthian plot because there's a lot going on, but just tell us the basics of who's who, what they want, and we'll just kind of go from there because there's a lot to get into. Well, like so many great crime movies, at issue in this movie, the kind of MacGuffin that, that keeps everything going is a diamond. A big diamond. A really big fucking diamond. And we're initially... I consider them the main characters, although to be fair, like... There's a lot of characters in this movie, and I don't know that anyone specifically could be considered a main character. But because we see them first, I kind of think of Jason Statham's Turkish and his buddy Tommy as sort of the main uh, characters. But they're and in the way the movie ends with them, kind of you know. But I would say that I would I would comfortably say they are the main characters. I would definitely say that Statham is the main character. Yeah, yeah. Although even like though say, this is. Uh, uh, um, I would say he's on screen no more than any other yeah, character this, is. This is a strong ensemble piece across the board. He is he is our kind of sympathetic lead, I guess. But basically we have a crime we have a crime tale set in the world of underground boxing, uh, as well as a, a diamond heist that goes down and a guy named Freddie Fourfingers, played by the great Benicio del Toro. Him and his group uh, uh, steal this diamond and Basically, it, it's hard to even say, but like this movie is basically just chasing this diamond throughout it. People doing different things. We get characters like um, Bricktop, who is uh, kind of one of the big guys in the underground boxing scene, who's running and fixing fights and taking bets on them. There's, you know, uh, uh, we got uh, Mickey, Brad Pitt's character, who is a, a, what they call a pikey, which is somewhat of a derogatory term for people of the traveler community. Yeah, they interchangeably call him Pikey, and, and the ones that aren't so trying to be so offensive are calling him a gypsy, which, which also, also isn't the is best incorrect. Uh, travelers what, what, are not necessarily gypsies. There are, or, or and even gypsy itself is not necessarily the Romani. There are Romani travelers, but there are well, also I was travelers say, that are not Romani. I, I, my my point there yeah. was that there are people calling him two different things for the most part, and neither one is particularly uh, nice to say. No, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> And he's, he's brought into it because he they need someone to fight and take a dive. But unfortunately, he's really good at bare-knuckle boxing and tends to knock people out in one punch. We've got uh, uh, the dudes that work in the pawn shop, uh, Vinny and uh, what's it, Son? Soul. Soul, that's it. Vinny and Soul, they work in the pawn shop. And their uh, buddy Tyrone. And their buddy Tyrone. Tyrone is my favorite character in the movie uh, because as a fat guy, I love seeing other fat guys in movies. And even though he's the butt of the joke, much respect, Tyrone. <laughs> Uh, who else we got? Oh, and of course, one of the great bad guys in any movie, Boris the Blade, mm-hmm. who's a Russian gangster. Well, he's actually, I think, Belarusian or something. They never, they're they not quite clear on where he's from. Uh, they say different no. things, but he's he's mean and he's very hard to kill. Well, he's a Boris the Bullet Dodger, which leads to one of my favorite lines of the movie. Why do they call him the Bullet Dodger? Because he dodges, dodges bullets, Abby. <laughs> because he dodges bullets, Abby. And then about an hour in, we get introduced to Bullet Tooth Tony, played by the wonderful Vinnie Jones, of course we remember from the previous film, playing yes. a similar character, similarly brutal mm. but also quiet character. Although I was going to say similar but very different. I'm going to say less. He doesn't have a son, so he's he's less uh, likable. <laughs> he's he's definitely more cold blooded. Yes. And anyway, I'll wait till we get into that. Doesn't quite uh, doesn't quite get the same ending that uh, the previous Not character does. Not quite. Um, Jesus, who else we got in here? Um, it was Gorgeous, who's their original fighter, who gets the shit kicked out of him. Uh, 
God well, so basically, so, okay. So, uh, Frankie Fourfingers, he steals a diamond. Yes. And he's trying to, he's trying to um, sell it. Mm-hmm. He's also got a bit of a gambling problem, we should mention at yes. this point. Um, so he gets... Which is intentionally set off, because is it Doug the Head who, like, or... who? Who's the one that tells him to place a bet? Was it Doug the Head sending him to place a bet, like, in... It, Basically encouraging him to gambling to gamble by putting him in that no, situation. No, no. So no, no, no. That's Boris the Blade. Oh, Boris. Okay, so Boris is the one that gets him to play. Yes, right. So Boris. Boris is telling him to go place a bet. Meanwhile, um, this is again. This is kind of confused, but he's being sent to go place a bet because Boris says I can't place it myself. He's already in debt to them. He's, he says, yeah, so I, I, I'm I, kind of persona non grata because I owe them money, so I need you to go place this bet for me. Yeah, so he – so – at the same time, um, Vinny, Soul, and Tyrone are hired by Boris the Blade to go and and catch him placing this bet and kidnap him so they can take you know the diamond yes. and get the money. But at the same time, Avi, played by Dennis Farina, yes. is uh, trying to get um, this sale done. He's trying to get Frankie Fourfingers to sell this diamond so that he could take his cut yeah. and make his money. He's in with Doug the Head, who's like his cousin right. or something. Who the, the fake Jewish guy. Yeah. <laughs> At the same time, Turkish and Tommy are boxing promoters. Well, they underground boxing promoters. And when their guy, uh, Gorgeous George, they're, they're um, not, not the 1950s wrestler um, or the Macho Man's Valet in 2000 in WCW. But when Gorgeous George gets uh, knocked out after a little skirmish with the We'll just say gypsies because that's what they call them. Um, you know, Brad Pitt challenges them, and George George is like, "Yeah, okay," and gets knocked out with one punch, and that's why they have to get Brad Pitt to be their boxer instead. Uh, they're also dealing with Bricktop, and Bricktop um, is Bricktop gets involved in the equation because when Vinny Soul and uh, when Vinny Soul. And Tyrone go to rob um, the bookie, basically where they think Frankie Fourfingers are. That's that's Bricktop's bookie. Yeah. So then he starts to go after them. Then he gets them to get the diamond for him. And just, as you can see, it get, yeah, everything it's... gets interconnected and crazy. But I will say as the first thing in this movie that I will give credit for, I was always I always understood what was going on. Yeah, it's hard to explain it, but when you're watching it, you kind of can figure out, you know, it's it's not like, yeah, it's not cryptic. It's just there's a lot going on and a lot of interplay between everybody all going after this diamond for whatever, you know, however they are. This kind of made me realize how good Guy Ritchie is at, like, yes. uh, filmmaking geography. Oh, yes. Like, knowing where all the characters need to be at any given moment, you know, they all come together at various points, and it's, like, it's organic. Mm. It's not just, like... Oh, I better be here so this can happen, and I better be here so this can happen. Like it all feels like their stories interconnect in ways that are not like super contrived. Yeah, it's not like just a happenstance. Like yeah, everything makes sense for the most part. Like, and there's like there's one scene where everybody kind of comes together, and we see it from different angles. Where that he throws the milk out the window and it hits the car, and the car crashes, and then yeah, uh, Boris gets hit by a car, and right. etc. Yeah. <laughs> I would say that in Lockstock, he he di- he does do that a little bit, but in this movie, he cranks that shit up to twenty. Yeah, he's he's in much better control of it. Like obviously, he took everything he learned on Lockstock and he just he put it back into this and made a better movie. 
Well, and and when you said that when we watched Lockstock, I was like, I don't know if it is. I don't know which one I like better. But having mm. seen this, as much as I do enjoy Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, and I think it's a great yeah. debut film. And this is this is not putting down on that movie at all. That is a fantastic movie in its own right. No, but it, like I said, as much as that, as much as it is, I I do agree now, having watched this, that this is an upgrade. This is like Guy Ritchie kind of fine tuning his craft. Whereas in that one, I think I think there are. I think the style does overshadow the substance a little bit. Whereas in this one, I feel like he 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 tones it down a little bit actually. I was actually kind of shocked at that. It seems a little yeah. bit toned down, but it comes in at the right moments. Well, that's it actually one of the things I wanted to talk about, Brendan, was that one of the things that I've always had in my head from this movie is that it was this hyperkinetic like, you know, boom 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 fast editing all this shit. And there is a lot of that in there, but going back to watch it after 20 years and seeing newer movies, it's like, wow, it's not nearly as crazy as I remember. No. And that's fine. That's not that's not to the movie's detriment, but it's just it's so funny how in 20 years like I guess movies have gotten so much more high energy. Like I always point back to watching uh, uh, Kingsman and how by the end of that movie, I was almost, I was almost ready for a nap. I was so worn out. You know, I felt like that back in the day, but going back to this, you know, wow. It's, well, uh, but it's, it's good. It's good folks. It's but I good. do, I do think Lockstock is crazier. I do think Lockstock is more hyperkinetic than this movie. I think so. Uh, I right. think, and I think not only that, not only has he found a way to kind of rein that in, and I'm not saying like, you know, oh, when filmmakers mature, I want them to lose their style. Like people saying like, oh, let's see Sam Raimi all grown up. Like, I don't give a shit about that. If you have a style, I want to see that style. But it's when filmmakers get further along, it's when you see them hone that. Mm. And it's not just them being like, here's my style. You know, it's like, oh, here, yeah. now I know how to craft it carefully. Now I know how to like do it in the right spots i'm not just showing everything off at once yeah and then having seen the gentleman we know that after all these years guy rich you can still do this sort of movie like, yeah he's still very talented at it and i would say the gentleman is more akin to snatch as well in terms of style mm-hmm. um because it does he doesn't he hasn't lost that that like playfulness no in, in his film in his filmmaking and I think um, what's interesting about this, too, now refresh my memory, but in Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, I'm pretty sure it's like 95% white dudes. Yeah, I think there's one black dude that is in the movie. Yeah. And he guy, doesn't and say much. Oh, yeah, he was, wasn't he the guy that like... With the glass table. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yes. So in this movie, I mean, there's there's three. So there you go. Yeah, it seems like there's a bit of a racial divide in... in kind of the groupings but there's more more folks of color in this movie although a lot of folks of color are, are like bouncers and guards at, at clubs and things there are some females with speaking roles yeah well there's a pair of twins even <laughs> yeah um and apparently their dialogue is almost cribbed uh almost directly from a scene in Lockstock as well as well from what i've read <laughs> just a big funny. reference to it um, but yeah, so the, he has, I feel like he has grown as a filmmaker in these two years, uh, between movies, which is kind of crazy. I wonder if he like, I wonder if he's one of those guys. Cause he doesn't seem to me like, you know, you hear about a lot of filmmakers, a lot of actors, directors, whatever that say like, you know, I don't read the critics. Cause like, what do they know? I just, I'm making them for the audience. I don't give a shit what they say. First of all, I think deep down they do care. And second of all, I think good filmmakers will read critics reviews and, and look for common things that come up and maybe be like, oh, maybe I should look at that. Or maybe, you know, oh, that's something that I that I do this way and I'm not going to change it. But I'm saying it doesn't hurt to read them. And I feel like Guy Ritchie is a person that reads them. 
Well, may, perhaps. I mean, it, I, I think it's good to have feedback on your film. And, and But the thing is, is like <laughs> finding the, the critics that you think are reputable to some extent and well, that, I'm are, not, that are going to give you – that are giving criticism that isn't just like, I hate this movie and no. fuck Guy Ritchie for you know, ever doing anything. I, I'm not <laughs> saying take everything to heart, but I'm just no. saying like – I think it's good to read them to just get the overall consensus of stuff. And maybe if you see something coming up in ev- almost every single review that people did the thing work, you're like, oh, okay, well, let me just take a second glance at that. You know what I mean? Are like, you suggesting the Guy Ritchie do a special edition of Snatch? No, I'm not. This is after Lock, Sock, and before Snatch. <laughs> but I'm <laughs> saying, like, I, th- I feel like he looked at the reviews of Lock, Sock, and Two Smoking Barrels that talked about how hyperkinetic it was, and maybe that it took away a little bit from the narrative, and maybe he read into that a little bit and said, oh, maybe there's maybe there's better ways I can weave this in. <laughs> Just saying. It seemed, yeah. it seems to, He seems like a guy, who, uh, a guy who cares about that stuff, or looks at it anyway. Because his movies... You know, let's forget about Swept Away for a second, but his yeah. movies, like, seem to evolve in terms of, um, you know, he has some, a few missteps here and there, but Didn't for the most part. Didn't he direct a King Arthur movie? He unfortunately did. Yeah. Did you see that? I unfortunately did. Was it, was it like, his style, like, hyperkinetic kind of? It is, and Jason, yeah. unfortunately, you can hear all about it on What Were They Thinking? <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to load that up. <laughs> right now, in the during the podcast. <laughs> Uh, it was really difficult. Out. You could really tell the, where the edits were because every now and then it, you could hear the cuts in the King Arthur podcast that Jason was listening to without <laughs> headphones. Oh, I just want to give a shout out to the late great Dennis uh, Farina, mm. who is one of the best, and I love him in this movie. He's so good. He's so precise. Like the way he says "fuck you" or, or the word "fuck," like he's just "fuck you, you bald fuck." Exactly. There's there's few people that have that command of the English language to just make that sting the way he does. And he was one of the best. And you're saying uh, someone that has that command of the English language in a movie with a bunch of British people. Absolutely. That's pretty <laughs> crazy. Clear? Yeah, don't go to fucking England. <laughs> yeah, fish and chips, tea, you know, bad food, fucking England. Uh, Dennis Farina and I believe Brad Pitt, the only two American actors in this movie. Got a, a good shout out to Brad Pitt. What well, the other thing I've noticed about this movie in the years since I've seen it, to go along with what I said earlier about uh, the style, um, and maybe it comes from watching hundreds of uh, British movies, but I actually understood Brad Pitt a lot better this time watching it. I was able to parse his accent in a way that I was unable to when I was in my uh, late teens. So did I. Like you could actually, you could not everything, but you could de- generally make out what he was trying to get a co- you know, get across. Well, it's funny because the I know the joke initially yeah. is you 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 can't really understand what he's saying. You're not supposed to be able to understand what he's saying hardly at all. Yeah, and that's in fact that's that's emphasized by other characters sometimes going, "Oh, dog." Yeah, you know the dags. Well, the dags. Oh, the dogs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dags. <laughs> so. I, I mean, I think, like, it's funny, like, it's almost like, the, the I mean, I still laugh, but I, I think the comedy of the piece is not as strong as when I first saw it, because I can't understand it quite a bit more. Yeah. Um, th- th- I, I like to point, I would like to say, special shout out to Kess, I think, was a movie that really helped us in penetrating British accents. Oh, that. Even, even though he doesn't speak in a Yorkshire accent, I think the skill set applies. <laughs> that movie, um... That movie was the first time I said, you know what? I think I do need subtitles for these yeah. movies. <laughs> but yeah, Brad Pitt is an interesting um, is an interesting aspect of this movie because this is 2001. Brad Pitt yes. is already huge. 
The, and mistake. I was one of the reasons I watched this movie at the time was because, and to this day, one of my favorite movies is Fight Club mm-hmm. for the right reasons. And yeah, uh, <laughs> not for not for bro reasons. I, I might have had bro reasons early on, but eventually I kind of like realized, oh yeah, th- uh, the movie keeps going past the Project Mayhem. Point. Well, you There's you more... kept telling me you kept telling me that I'm not my fucking khakis, and I was like, no. yes, I know, Jason. I'm a human being who sometimes wears khakis. Well, that was after years of you being like, no, Jason, I am my khakis. That's the only that's the only thing I have. And right. eventually you got past it, and I I credit myself for that. Well, thank you. Yes, I did. I got a muscle shirt. Oh, I will say I looked fantastic in. <laughs> Folks, he does have a muscle shirt. I think it has Macho Man on it. Oh, it has all the Macho Man on it and in it. <laughs> it's just a shirt. It's just a collage of men that he considers macho. Yeah, we, like, got, we got Macho Man. Macho Man, we, Liberace. We the, of course, um, we got the the director of a Serbian film. Right. We've got, um, uh, 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 Sigourney Weaver. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, Mr. Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium, uh, uh, just 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 a, it's just a screenshot from that movie. Absolutely, and it's just a to... screenshot like it's like a close up of a ladder. It's not even like a good screenshot. And the best part about when you wear a muscle shirt, Brendan, is that we can see your Tiffany Trump tattoo. Oh, and it's it's well, I mean, it's my whole chest. That's right. It's my, my whole chest. Her her eyes are right on your nipples. And and of course, on the back it says, "Pay attention to me, Daddy." That's right. Yeah, that's right. It's a good it's a good look though. Thank Congratulations! You. I don't. It'll never age poorly, is my thinking. You you are going to that uh, back tattoo convention, and you're going to meet up with Ben Affleck. I heard. Yes. Well, actually, right next to the back tattoo convention, um, conveniently enough, is the uh, anti-January sixth committee. So I'm going to oh, that wow. too in the afternoon. Wow, they made an anti-January sixth committee. Is well, it, was, so that's the one the Republicans are running to say that it's all bullshit. No, no. Well, I was going to go to the Uncle January sixth committee, but the anti one. I don't know. She just seems like a sweeter lady. That's true. That's true. Uh, meanwhile, I got I got diverted, ended up at the January Jones committee, and I tell you, that wasn't a great day. Oh, <laughs> wait, wait. She seems all right. <laughs> she's fine, I guess, but wasn't really exciting. She's not. She's not a party host. It turns out. <laughs> Just talking about Mad Men the whole time. I know. I know. It's like, dude, you've done other stuff. Talk about that. But no, all she wanted to talk about was, oh, John Ham, John Ham, big penis, John Ham. That's all she said. I like to think that you went there and it turned out that January Jones was a robot malfunctioning. <laughs> Maybe she was. Oh, that's how she got out of it. She left a robot. John God Hamm. damn it. Uh, She's like penis. Saddam Hussein with the doubles. Uh, penis. John Ham. Ted needs to wear underwear. John Ham. P P P P Penis. Penis. Ham. Penis. Ham. Penis. So what were we talking about? Uh, Snatch. Oh, Brad speaking Pitt. Of, speaking of genitals, we were talking about Snatch. <laughs> and Brad Pitt's package. Yes. Um, no, I was going to say that uh, – so Brad Pitt is such an interesting aspect of this movie because I don't know if you know this, but I found out that when he – the reason he's in this movie is because he asked to be. He knew that Guy Ritchie was making another movie. He loved Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, mm-hmm. as most people with a pulse did. Yeah. And he basically was like, I want in. I want in. Whatever you're making next, I'll, I'll do it. And, of course, Guy Ritchie was like, yes, absolutely, Yes. And then he realized he didn't have a role for Brad Pitt. <laughs> so <laughs> he said he had to basically think of it. And, like, he was, he was, ra- he was you know, racking his brain. Like, what can I, I can't, I just said yes to him. Of course I want him in the movie. Like, what the fuck do I do? Yeah. So there's some, there's some um, kind of back and forth about this. So I'm not sure exactly what the truth is. It's either he wrote the role when he found out about this or he had the role and he gave it to him. 
But either way, he cast him in the role of Mickey. Um, and he was like, listen, uh, can you do like this kind of accent? And he said he was, he said Brad Pitt came back like a week later and like had it perfected. Wow. True professional Brad Pitt. And that's, a, and that's such a big deal for, for Guy Ritchie because at this time, this was like Brad Pitt at the top of the world. I mean, oh, that's what I mean. This guy yeah. is a mega star. For sure, in doing two thousand two thousand zero, Brad Pitt, come on, and he looks great in this movie too. He's got they get all the pikey tattoos, but you know he's very lean but very muscly, and he looks young. He's always looked young. young, and he's and and of course my theory with Brad Pitt has always been the dirtier he is in a movie, the better the performances, and this definitely is on the side of dirty and the sexier. That's right, because if you go back and watch like Meet Joe Black, which is a movie I like, his performance is pretty pretty minimal. Uh, but but his patois accent is phenomenal. That's oh, it's, it's great, it's great. Or, or Legends of the Fall when he had all that long hair. Yeah, yeah. Good times. Fuck I haven't guy. seen Legends of the Fall. I saw it years and years ago. I know somebody's heart gets buried in a field. I know that much. Well, spoiler alert. <laughs> now I'm just gonna wait for it. That's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he's he's uh, he's really good. Now I was gonna ask you about him in this movie though. Like, is it appropriate casting him in this role? I mean, maybe from a 2022 perspective, you would want to cast a person that was uh, at least maybe from the area. Possibly. I don't know how many traveler actors there are. Perhaps there are. But perhaps somebody from that area that had a legit accent you would want to cast. But also, Guy Ritchie had the biggest star in the world to be in his movie. That's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, I... I, (laughs) They they could have asked him to gain 200 pounds and play Tyrone. And uh, it still would have been great. (laughs) Is that a funny angle? (laughs) Um, I, I gotta say too, uh, you know, they, they have a, they have a few, few characters say like, you know, that they say the lines, I hate pikeys or I hate gypsies yeah. or whatever. They kind of end up being the smartest characters in the movie. <laughs> well, yeah, they get the fuck out of Dodge at the end. Well, they outsmart weird. everyone. Plus they get yeah. a bunch of money. Plus they escape. And they get to kill like 12 people. That's what I mean. Like, it's funny yeah. because it, maybe Guy Ritchie is also making, I'm not saying, you know, he's making a statement. He's a, he's a making an important film statement but i think he kind of is in that everybody just assumes these guys are dumb and like they don't they don't do anything and then by the end of the movie they've literally outsmarted all the bad guys well i think yeah exactly when i think about it it's like the pikeys in this movie don't they're not like actively trying to do anything like they're literally there it's like they go to them right and and brad pitt and drag him into this whole thing so they're not they're not initially part of this, but they get dragged into it, and then some people start dying, and then they have to circle the literal wagons and uh, deal with them. Yeah, and yeah, they get out on top because they they were the ones they didn't they didn't start it, but they fucking finished it. And then I think another really uh, strength of Brad Pitt's performance, because I would argue he's one of the more straightforward comedic characters in the movie, mm-hmm. but there is a moment, of course, like you talked about. He's supposed to throw the fight in the fourth round for Bricktop, and he just knocks the guy out immediately. <laughs> and the repercussions are that they burn down a caravan with his mom asleep inside. And yeah. he has a very real emotional breakdown scene that's brutal. Well, that's, that's a great scene where he's, like, struggling to go to the, the burning trailer, and his buddy's holding him back. Our buddy from uh, Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. Uh... Jason Fleming. Yeah, Jason Fleming, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and and you see him like like really like emotional like it's just a, a total, you know, just explosion of emotions, and you're like, oh, this is like, that's why he's one of the top stars in the world because he can do stuff like that. Like you could see him as a goofball, and then you know minutes later you're like, oh fuck, like it's just. And- 
It's so effective. It is. And it's at that point you're like, there's no way this guy's going to do anything but get what's his. Like, he's going to he's gonna finish this. He's not going to necessarily do what he's told, but he's going to do what he wants to do. And when he goes into that last fight, it seems like he's doing what they want him to do because he doesn't just knock the guy out the first time. He lets him hit him and they get into some back and forth. But at some point he gets really mad in the match and just fucking clobbers the guy. Yeah, uh, but not before when he gets knocked out, he goes into like an underwater sequence. Yeah, the weird little fantasy um, moment. Which watching, I watched the behind the scenes documentary on uh, YouTube. Uh, you can watch it on YouTube. It's like 20 minutes long. And uh, that looked like the most difficult thing to film. And I, I, you see the clips of Guy Ritchie on his little earpiece saying like, okay, Brad, give me the thumbs up when you're good to go. And of course, Brad's just flipping yeah. him <laughs> off the whole time. Um <laughs> And he's like, okay, we got to get rid of the bubbles. And Brad was like, I need them to breathe, like stuff like that. <laughs> so it just, it, yeah, it didn't look fun. And then he got out and he was all good spirits and everything. So, yeah. But Dennis Farina. Dennis Farina is the other American in this movie. And, yes, um, a, a, a wonderful, wonderful actor we sadly have lost since. Um, but he's the only American performer playing an American, by the way, in this movie. Right? Yeah. Like, they, Brad Pitt's in this movie, another American, but this guy's just playing an American. Imagine Dennis Farina was uh, Mickey. <laughs> you know what? I, I'd like to see it. I'd like to see it. We well, can't, but I'd like to see it. You know that he never he never actually took, like, acting classes or anything, right? Dennis Farina? No. This is a guy, hey. he was a Chicago cop. He was <laughs> hired as a consultant on, on a movie called Thief, Michael Mann. Mm-hmm. And uh, he eventually got cast in Michael Mann uh, as a TV show that Michael Mann produced called Crime Story. Okay. And then from there, he, you know, he, he, he acted and actually was a cop at the same time for a while. And then eventually he was just like, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll just act for a little bit and then I'll go back to it. And it just, it just, he just kept getting parts, kept getting roles, and then he never went back to it. But Why? And probably better money, number one. Uh, less chance of getting shot, number two. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it's like, now that you mentioned that, it's like, you just look at him, it's like, yeah, he's definitely a fucking Chicago cop. Like, he's, yeah. he's like, he's like if fucking Sipowitz uh, had hair and wasn't quite as fat. Yeah, it, well, it makes it interesting in scenes with him and, uh, again, it goes back to Lockstock, and there's scenes with him and Vinnie Jones that are both two guys that, that did not start out as actors or did not get any formal acting training, which just reminds me of Lockstock when you had that scene between Sting and Vinnie Jones. There's another scene where two people had no formal act, acting training, um, and the, in this movie, just like Lockstock, I think their, their scenes together are great. Well, I think that's part of why uh, what makes Vinnie jo- guys like Vinnie Jones and 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 uh, Dennis Farina authentic is because they're real. That's them. They're real on yeah. screen. They're taking their real personality and really like that's been developed outside of acting and kind yeah. of brought into it. Like taking like, you your real about... persona and dialing it up a few notches. Yeah, and and tuning it in. It's it's kind of like Arlie Ermey, right? Where he gets kind of dragged into acting and then it ends up giving him like a whole career. But like. Because a lot of actors, you think about it, like they start acting, you know, when they're in high school and maybe they go to acting school and then they start doing commercial auditions or whatever. Like at a certain point, like if if all you're doing is acting, maybe you don't have the chance to truly develop your own personality. But maybe that's also useful in being able to slip into other personalities. Mm -hmm. At the same time, when you get guys like this that have this particular like just this strong personality, you want to exploit it because they're characters in of themselves. Indeed. Yes. Jason's hands went really crazy just now. Well, it's like, I mean, this is a different example, but somebody like Robin Williams, like you just put Robin Williams in a movie as like a Robin Williams type. That's great. 
that's great. He doesn't need. He's a great actor and can do other things, but he doesn't even need that. You just you no. need your Robin Williams type. You're right. Does that make any sense? Well, and I think it's another thing where um, it's 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 kind of an extra cool thing that Dennis Farina and Vinnie Jones are also not only drama, but they pr- adapt to the comedy stuff pretty easy too. Mm-hmm. Like Farina has great comic timing. Vinny Jones they're, they're, is is dry and hilarious. Oh, the the scene that always, that made me laugh really hard was when uh, <laughs> at the end of the movie, like near the end of the movie, when they're in that pub and he's and Boris is on the ground and he keeps shooting him. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, oh. and then he finally like gets the shot off, last shot at him, and he goes quiet and he goes to shoot uh, Tyrone. Uh, Tyrone, and he just, you lucky bastard. Yeah, <laughs> the gun clicks at the last second. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just his like subtle frustration at Boris uh, still being alive and just muttering like these Russian curse words under his breath mm-hmm. as he gets up. Jason, I have a chicken and the egg uh, question for you. Sure. Because I think there's another movie that came out this same year, or yeah, I think the same year. There's a movie called Hannibal. Okay. And in that movie, there's also a villain in that movie played mm-hmm. by Gary Oldman. In this mm-hmm. movie, it's Bricktop played by uh, Alan Ford. Something like that, yes. Who, who Alan we saw? Ford, yes. We saw briefly at the end of Lockstock. Um, but he was I narrating ask you, the movie. Both characters, both characters are villains, and they both um, feed their enemies to their pigs. Which uh, I mean, clearly, is a a, a rational and uh, efficient means of dealing with your enemies, I suppose. So but yeah, number that's one, a... that scares me that you just calmly said that. But, but number two, uh, uh, what came first? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I might have to say probably Hannibal because I think the book was written earlier. But I but but is there a character called Gary Oldman in the book Hannibal? Uh, no, I think his name's like Mason Verger or something. But he's in the book, yeah. I uh, know. I believe he, he's Gary Oldman playing himself. <laughs> I I'm pretty sure Gary Oldman was uncredited in that movie. Did Gary Oldman not also play himself in Tiptoes? Well, he's very tiny, I guess. Maybe? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought it was funny that two, like, huge yeah. movies that year had the same was, villain trope. Did, was that around the time the Robert Picton case came to the media about the pig farmer that, you know, uh, oh, killed I don't know all the prostitutes? I don't know what was in the zeitgeist at the time that caused two separate movies to have crime criminal characters feeding uh, their people to pigs. Although I think that pops up in Deadwood, too, although that was later. I'm pretty sure in Deadwood they talk about feeding them to the pigs. I do also like how um, in this movie, so they do a lot of the calm villain thing, which is scarier than any kind of crazy person because uh, Bricktop does this several times. When he shows up to see uh, Soul Vincent, is it Vincent? God damn, there's so many characters. Vinny. 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 Well, technically Vincent. Uh, Soul, Vinny, Soul and Vinny, and he goes when he shows up to see them. He's very calmly talking about how he, uh, how to dispose of a body while they're trying to dispose of a body, and talking about how you chop it into pieces and give it to pigs or whatever. And um, I had a point, and I don't remember it now. <laughs> that he's he's being the calm villain. He's just calmly explaining this, and he's saying it like you know, I heard. That if you, you know, you get 16 pigs, they can eat two pounds of flesh an hour, you can get rid of a human body in about 20 minutes. Like, that kind of shit. Yeah, he just he just sits there and very calmly explains that to them. Um, <laughs> I just, I don't know. I think that's spooky. And, of course, Vinnie Jones uh, always is, often plays that kind of character that is very calm and philosophical when he's speaking and very quiet, but the violence that comes out of him is brutal and loud. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so uh, Bricktop is uh, a great character, much like yeah. the, the crime boss in Lockstock, I think. Um, but this one feels like uh, he just has these, like, crazy reaction like he has these crazy reactions to things but they're he's usually so calm like he like we you know well jason jason statham will tell him something he's like excuse me can you say that again because i didn't like the way that sounded or something like that you know um or when he says like uh you know is is the pikey so i want the pikey to fight again and and statham you know says oh of course of course he'll do it he's like no that wasn't a question of course he's gonna fight again i told you he's going to yeah (laughs) it's I love when you get an actor like that, like an Alan Ford. Is that his name, Alan Ford? Yes. Um, it's his ability to deliver that sort of dialogue is lyrical. It's poetic. It it's, is, yes. I love that when you have that lower class kind of British accent. And Bob Hoskins too was good at this in in Long Good Friday and other movies of just like being able to deliver this like kind of complicated deep dialogue, and it all sounds so natural. And it's just it's like it's just it's amazing. It's like listening, listening to word jazz. I love it. It does, yeah. It it it's it reminds me of. I mean, again, I know we talked about Tarantino, but it does remind me of Tarantino characters. Yeah, it's, it's like a British their, take on that. Yeah, like who deliver their dialogue so just like it just comes out mwah, like Chef's kiss. Like it just it's perfectly delivered. You you gotta. It's tough to find the right actor to pull that off. Absolutely. I don't even Absolutely. think. I don't even think it's really. Um, done that much? I don't even. I didn't even really get that vibe that much from Guy Ritchie's first movie. Like, I, yeah. I mean, to some extent, but I think in this one, especially with that character, yeah. um, and and maybe even Dennis Farina, on honestly, mm-hmm. because yeah. he has some crazy shit that he he says yeah. too. But it, it, it this movie, it really it really comes out wonderfully. By the way, I gotta say I mean, right now, I don't know why I just thought of this, but whenever Frankie Fourfingers uh gambling problem gets mentioned and they cut to that Viva Las Vegas yeah. photo montage, brilliant. <laughs> That's funny. Also, I don't know if Frankie Fourfingers is supposed to be Israeli because the accent that uh Del Toro is doing sounds very like Israeli because in the beginning it's like, oh, they're dressed as rabbis to do this heist, so maybe he's putting it on, but then he keeps speaking like that. <laughs> By the way, I gotta say, and I think this is intentional from Guy Ritchie, that opening scene where all the rabbis go in and rob the bank. The camera work is insane, right? It's crazy. Yeah. It's the most hyperkinetic it is in the whole movie. And I yeah. think Guy Ritchie is fucking with us. I yeah. think he's saying, get ready for the whole 90 <laughs> minutes like that. And then it immediately calms down. But also shout out to the early part of that scene where it's entirely filmed through the security cameras. Mm. It's literally he starts on one monitor and then the whole scene is he's panning across different security monitors. Yeah. And the whole thing plays out until they get into the inner office and start the heist. There's so many things happen in this movie and it never feels convoluted. It never feels like bloated. It's just it just it moves so fast. You get a sense of everyone's character, I think, even better than you do in Lockstock. Mm hmm. Oh man, it's just so. I wanted to go back to Vinny Jones for a second because I think he has one of the best character introductions I've ever seen. Is where he mm. you just see a point of view from inside, from the driver's seat of the car, and he's just smashing someone's face with the car door, like yes. killing someone probably. Um, which calls back to Lockstock when he does that in one yeah. of the scenes. Well, it's it's a nice contrast too because he's slamming this guy's door in the head, and then his phone rings, and then he stops, just reaches in, picks up the phone, and is like, "Hello." <laughs> very and he's very very polite hello too exactly yeah um i i have to say too about vinnie jones like 
We talked about this, uh, but you say one of the scenes that you specifically remember from this movie, the Desert Eagle .50 scene where uh, uh, Vinny and, and Saul try to rob him, uh, Vinny Jones. and We should say Tony. Out. That'll make it easier. Tony. Yeah, Rob Bullet Tooth Tony. And yeah, they, they, it doesn't work out because he's not dumb and he sees that their guns have replica written on the side. And he gives this whole speech about the, the, being a dick and balls and all this. And then it's like, you got... Because you've got replica written on the side of your gun and on the side of my gun, it says Desert Eagle point five O. Yeah, and all of a sudden your balls have got smaller or something like yeah. that. It's a, it's a it's a pretty uh, famous little monologue there. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then of course that's the scene where he shoots Boris like a million times before he mm-hmm. dies. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, and. You know, we should mention, too, when we talked about the last movie, I mean, Jason Statham was one of the four main guys. Mm -hmm. But I don't think there was ever a thought that he was the guy in that movie. If anything, it was probably, like, you know, uh, Jason Fleming. Yeah. It was the guy. was Out of the four, that might have been the main character. But in this Mm -hmm. one, he's the guy. Like, I think Guy Ritchie, from the last one to this movie, realized, oh, Statham is going to be a star. He's very charismatic. Yeah, and when this movie came out, he still wasn't a star. Like he still wasn't a big name at all. Uh, I did, it probably didn't take until it probably took until like God, I don't know, uh, one of the Fast and Furious movies, maybe or maybe Crank. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't know what his big breakout was. Uh, maybe like Italian Job. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. but certainly not in 2000. I don't think he had really reached the the pot. The, he was the he was still on the upswing. Yet. He was on the upswing for sure, but I think if you if you look at all the actors in this movie, he wasn't even close to that. Yeah. yeah. Although it is fun in the documentary, um, the the whole wraparound of the documentary is him playing chess with Guy Ritchie, <laughs> and asking him questions about the filming, and then basically just like making fun of him the whole time. That's fun. <laughs> I got to say, this movie has made it in the last 20 years, so anytime I say the Germans, I will invariably invariably say, the Germans? Yes, yes. Will you, will you protect yourself from Tommy, the Germans? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, damn. There's just so much to talk about in this movie. There's so many things that happen. Um, I mean, I love the dog. The yes. dog that swallows the squeak toy and just squeaks for the rest of the movie. Yeah. The the the, the Pikeys just always give a dog with uh, with a deal, they insist. And then the yeah. dog eventually will come back because they just always go back to where their uh, where the travelers are. Oh, and speaking of dogs, by the way, um you know that we get that brief kind of horrific scene uh where we see Bricktop who clearly runs dog fights mm. because we see a poor dog. You know, a poor dead dead dog on the ground. Mm. In the behind-the-scenes documentary, by the way, you see them actually making the fake dead dog, um, <laughs> oh, which is kind of funny. But uh, we see we see the dead dog on the ground, and then we see Bricktop, like, antagonizing a dog in a cage and everything. And that came from Guy Ritchie uh, getting advice from someone, uh, asking someone, like, what – well, what what do people think is like one of the most horrible things? Like I could give this character to be like extra evil. I want people to hate this guy, and and so, and he's like, I'm gonna make him a pedophile. And then someone said, you know what? People hate pedophiles, but you know what people hate even more? People that mistreat animals. Yeah, and- I know. E- even Hitler was smart enough to like dogs. <laughs> <laughs> what a clever guy. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So so. So then Guy Ritchie was like, oh, fuck. So he put that in, and sure enough, it makes him a despicable asshole. 
Yeah, that, I mean, really, for real. Any movie you want to, if, if you want an instant, cheap way to make somebody a bad guy, just have them kick a dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Guy Ritchie said he had, like, some Brazilian friend of his tell, told him that advice. Um, I also want to mention that in the documentary, too, uh, Guy Ritchie talks about how, how um, you know, Brad, they call him Pikey and stuff. And he's like, but, you know, I probably wouldn't, I probably wouldn't call him that if I met him to his face. It's not a very nice thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's pretty upfront about the language in his movies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah so um, any other uh, kind of big things you want to talk about? I know we talked about the I, style of the movie. Yeah, I feel like it'll come up in uh, in Bits and Bobs. Well, on that note, Jason, we are going to take a brief break and we will be right back. Boy, look at you. Add your radio, boy. You guys are Bishop Bobs. You guys are Bishop Bobs. You got Bits Bobs. Jason, Jason got Bits Bobs. Jason, go give you the Bits Bobs. Turkish explains the uh, origin of his name in the beginning of the movie, and I laughed at the line. Not many people are named after a plane crash. Yeah, that is a good line. Too. Other than your friend uh, Swiss Air 111 McLean. Listen. <sighs> He's a good guy, okay? He's a good guy, old Swiss. He's a good guy with lofty dreams. <laughs> and lofty dreams. Uh, I mean, I mean, his nose is always up in the air, though. Yes. <laughs> uh, we have the line, diamonds, don't they come from Antwerp? Which would be a reference to De Beers, the great uh, uh, Dutch uh, South African monopoly on diamonds that oh. have actually been illegal, I believe, in the, for a long time for them to operate in the United States because they're such a, mon- a monopoly. I thought you were going to say it was a reference to Da Beers. Da Beers. Oh, it's Mike Lindell, and now I'm doing Seth Meyers doing Mike Lindell doing Da Mike, Bears. Mike Lindell does not, is not in the Bears sketch. You take that back right now. I mean, if they ever had him host. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I mean, hey, they had Trump host. Why not get Lindell in there? They had Trump host before the election. Let's, yeah, let's the first that's election. True, that's true. Well, I mean, hey, he couldn't be worse than Seagal, right? I think Seagal might have been worse. No, I'm saying I'm saying Mike Lindell couldn't be worse than Seagal. No, I think uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, the music in this movie is something that has stuck with me for many years. That that rolling bass track that um, is wonderful. But what I noticed this time, and of course Brendan made me think of Anchorman, was the amount of flute in this movie. <laughs> There's a lot of rock and fucking flute playing in this movie that I. Did not remember at all, and all I could picture was Ron Burgundy just just kicking it, just just rocking that jazz just flute, going downtown, you know. Yeah. Uh, so appreciate the flute music, Cloudus. Uh, uh, you're awesome. I want to I want to shout out the opening credits doing an opening uh, character credits instead, which normally I'm like I'll fuck off credit the actors, but in this yeah. kind of movie I think it's a it's a good step. Oh man, it's an incredibly useful cheat sheet right off the bat because there's a lot of characters in this movie and just kind of getting a face to a name right out of the gate. That's, and it's that's done helpful. so it's done so cool. Like it, yeah. it's like you're following a diamond and it shoots into the screen, comes back and it's in a different scene doing something else. Yeah. Somebody throws money. Somebody grabs money out of the same location. It's a different scene. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. Uh, Boris, of course, Boris, the blade giving great advice. He's talking about the gun. Heavy it is reliable. Heavy is good. If it doesn't work, you can hit him with it, <laughs> which turns out to be the case for poor Tommy because his gun doesn't work. He sells him a shitty gun. He sells him a shit gun. Um, well, this bit I I forgot about, but it's also really funny. 
and I don't know why it's there, but it's just, I guess it's just a laugh, where, where Frankie's on the phone, and he's at the tailor, and every time mm-hmm. we cut back to him, he's wearing a different outfit. <laughs> that was that was so weird to me, because I was like, wait, time's not passing, though. No. <laughs> just a dumb gag, I guess. I don't know if it meant anything, but kudos. It made me laugh. Um, I, I, I point out that not only is Statham, like, one of the first people we see, and I think clearly the lead, if there's a lead in this movie, but he's also narrating the movie, too. Yes. Which I think places him firmly as the guy in, in control of this story. Oh, for sure. By the way, he has the greatest uh, facial reactions to, oh, shit, I'm fucked. Like, he has the best, like, I'm fucked reactions in yeah. probably cinema. He does, for sure. Uh, when we meet Mickey, we see him in a fight, and he gets knocked down and lands on a pallet or a fence or something. Knocks into a fence and knocks it down. He's laying on the ground and recovering and kind of, like, bends his legs. And then everybody that's behind him grabs the fence and just pulls the fence up to put him back up. That was great. That's a wonderful bit. They also like giving dogs away in all their deals. They love to give the dogs away. You, gotta you like dogs? But, but the dogs will always come back. That's the thing we learned. They always run back home. Yeah. Uh, oh, this movie has its own version of the Bren gun. Yes. Because a character has like a gun, and he's like, that's like an anti-aircraft gun. Oh, yeah. it's the it's, He's got the big police shotgun. But yeah. it's funny because they kind of repeat that gag of yeah. like somebody yeah. having a gun that just isn't necessary. It's, it's, it's far too big for their purposes, yes. Right. I enjoy that. <laughs> um, oh, when poor Tyrone tries to get out of the car, I know the pain of trying to get out of a small car sometimes as a fat guy. Give me a real <laughs> pain in the ass. Trying to well, just, isn't, uh, isn't there that moment, too, where he's like, we're pretty far from the curb, and then he he struggles to get out. And they're like, "How the fuck's he going to be the getaway driver?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he's also not particularly good at driving because he no. backs into a car and he's, "Whoa, was, was that a funny angle? Was that a funny angle? It was directly behind us." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, uh, that's the that's the line about Tyrone. Is they're like, "What the fuck can he get away from?" Guy Ritchie loves uh, dumbass burglaries. Yeah. I find. Because um, there's that whole scene at the bookies where he gets caught in that, like, window that comes up. Is it the gentleman where they rob that weed grow up? Yes. With the, with the, yeah, okay, with the weirdos that are, like, TikTok in, or YouTube influencers or yes. something? Okay, yeah, yeah another, yeah, another that's, great example. Yeah, that's definitely not lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. <laughs> <laughs> the TikTokers. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, well, Sorry, I, I like that Tyrone got a victory, and that he actually gets uh, Frankie. It was an accident, but he found him, and he put, oh, put yeah. him in the back of the car. Well, I was going to say, um, it kind of uh, plays with your expectations a little bit, because the, the character Frankie, the, you know, Benicio Del Toro, who initially gets the diamond, you think he might be around for most of the movie, right? You think they're gonna, we're going to follow him for a bit. He pretty much gets unceremoniously killed early yeah. on. I mean, and again, another guy, big star at this time, you know, usual suspects had happened, traffic was happening, like it was... I, I, was he, I, I mean, recognizable face. Yeah. I don't know if he was a big star, but... I think he was definitely getting close. Like, you know, he'd yeah. been in a bunch of movies, you know, of course, Fear and Loathing, one of my I favorite I think traffic movies. was the same year. Yeah, it was 2000 for sure. Or 2000, yeah. So that was the, but, but folks, of course, if you've never seen Traffic, that was the movie that invented the fact that Mexico is uh, in a yellow filter when you go there. <laughs> it also, uh, when I first saw it, I was uh, quite a bit younger, and it made me think that Eric Foreman was maybe doing worse drugs than just weed. <laughs> yeah. 
He was a bad boy. He was a bad influence on Erica Christensen. That's right. Who played Michael Douglas's daughter? It's I probably haven't seen that movie since the theater, Brendan. I know I've seen it, and I know it's really good, but it's it been a while. Good. Soderbergh, baby. But yeah, no, I was going to say, so I was just, I was just kind of shocked that he died super quick. Oh, and I want to mention, because we never mentioned this, Jason, every character that dies in this movie dies off screen. I suppose, yeah. Because he gets shot in the head. We don't see the, the we don't see it until after the fact. Yeah. Boris dies off screen. Because, yeah, Vinny just keeps Vinny firing Jones, shots into him. <laughs> Bullet Tooth Tony, Vinny Jones dies off screen. We didn't talk about that where Cousin Abby goes crazy with the gun yeah. trying to shoot the dog because he thinks yeah. the dog swallowed the diamond. Yes. We, he looks down. He's like, you know, he's like, Tony? Tony? And he looks down. He clearly, he's killed Tony. And then we get that montage of him going back to New York, which is really yeah. funny. The quick plane uh, thing of, yeah, the, the him on the Concord <laughs> and taking the shot of uh, pills and whatever and... Yeah, and suddenly he's back in the States. But, like, yeah, every character, even, like, you know, Bricktop gets shot in the head uh, off screen. Yeah. Isn't that wild? That is wild. Um, it's, I, not, I, I, it's not nearly as, like, violent or gra- – well, it's not nearly as graphic as you, as you might think, remember. Yeah. That's it. I wonder if it's one of those things, like – it's like with the Reservoir Dogs. Everybody remembers the scene of getting the ear cut off, but if you watch it, they pan away before it actually happens. It's just – the whole setup to it burns in your brain so much that you think you saw what you didn't actually see. Well, you remember I the thing that I always remember from that movie is just seeing his face after the ear gets cut yes. off, which is kind of nasty. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you see Tim Roth after he's already been shot in the chest and the gut. Tim Roth, who bleeds more blood than I think is in multiple human bodies in the course of that movie. I don't want to die, Larry. <laughs> You're not gonna fucking die. You're not gonna die. you say the fucking words. I'm not, I'm not going to die. <laughs> Listen, I love Tim Roth, but him trying to do that and not use his British accent is pretty funny. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's definitely a, a fascinating accent that he comes up with. <laughs> um, I want to mention the scene in this movie, Snatch, uh, where Tyrone is being chased and it's intercut with the scene of the, the dogs chasing after the hare. Oh, the ones that are going to, the, the the dogs that it's going to get proper fucked by? Get proper fucked by, yes. <laughs> but it's just such a good contrast. The poor, poor Tyrone, like the hare, there's no way he's going to get away, but goddammit, he's going to try. But unlike the hare, uh, he doesn't get away, because the hare gets away. The hare, oh, the hare does get away. Yeah, because remember, he, remember... The whole, well, we should say that this whole thing is set up by Statham basically, Mickey basically telling Statham, I'm not going to fight anymore. Okay, hold on. I'll make you a deal. Yes. If uh, if you win, um, I'll fight for free. And if not, you got to buy my mom an even nicer caravan. And um, he says, uh, he says so he's like, I bet that the hair is going to get away. And it doesn't. Or he, sorry, he says he bets the hair is going to get proper fucked. Yes. And the dogs don't catch the hair. And he gets away. Unlike... Um, Tyrone unfortunately does get caught. Uh, by the way, and and not remembering how this goes, I really thought he was dead in this scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and when we see him next, he is in a body bag, and they're getting ready to murder him. They've like, they're that's when they're in the pawn shop, and they've got all the plastic up around, and they got his body, and they got, um, uh, I think they've dragged in Frankie's body as if they're gonna cut it up, and then it doesn't happen. Well, they got Vinny and Soul. They put them in body bags too, and they get ready yeah. to go. What a scary fucking thing! You're yeah. in a body bag, and you're not even dead yet. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing, Brighton, and uh, I will say this to all our listeners right now: if you can, please don't get involved in organized crime. It's not a good scene. You know what? I and know- if you do, and if you do. 
just just make make yourself a five year plan. That's right. You gotta have, you gotta have goals because you know what they say about organized crime. It's really easy to get out of it. That's true. Once you're out, you're out for good. I think that was the line in Godfather Three. I th- I think the God <laughs> yeah I think the line in Godfather Three is I gave my two weeks notice and they were very respectful about it. <laughs> Uh, just a couple more things to note. Uh, uh, two last things here. I, I like that bit where they're driving in the road and they're arguing about the replica gun and whether it, you know, he's like, oh, I got blanks in it. It'll be loud. What, oh, no. And then he shows him and he bl- pulls off a shot of the blank in the car and blows out all the fucking windows. <laughs> yep. Because, yeah, a blank makes a really loud noise uh, and is dangerous. So don't John Eric Hexham yourself and be careful with your blanks. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing I want to mention was just a great comedic moment of Boris coming back with a uh, an assault rifle, an AK-47 or something, with a full-on grenade launcher on the bottom of it, which he doesn't unfortunately use, but he has it. Yes. Anything else on your end, Brendan? Um, I want to mention one of my favorite uh, cutaway or, I guess, visual gags is when they have um, – when Avi and – Bullet Tooth Tony have um, this guy Rosebud with them, hmm. who's like I think he's like Abby's guy, right? He comes so, with yeah. them, and he's like, "I'm gonna take that Russian out, that fucking Russian. You just leave him to me, boss. Yeah. You just leave him to me." Cut immediately to him going like him bleeding from the whole head, his whole <laughs> entire face going like, "Oh my god, I'm bleeding!" <laughs> and Dennis Free to say like, "We're gonna get you a good Jewish doctor, okay? Yeah, We're good gonna get Jewish you a doctor, good Jewish doctor." <laughs> Like, he immediately turns into, like, the biggest, like, whiny baby. Yeah, and then he pulls out a fucking sword that he has on him, and then they get into a car accident, and he dies when he stabs himself with the sword. And, and of course, Bolt Tooth Tony says, what part of him do you want to take with us? <laughs> exactly. Um, even Bullet Tooth Tony at one point thinks killing a dog is a bit much. Yeah. No, he doesn't want, like, that's the thing. They've done all these horrible things, but the, you know, Dennis Farina's character is like, yeah, cut that fucking dog open. Let's see what's inside him. And Tony's like, I mean, that seems like a bit much. Yeah, because he <laughs> thinks that the diamond is uh, is inside the dog. And then the dog <laughs> takes off, and Avi is just shooting his gun everywhere yeah. all over the room and, of course, accidentally kills Bullet, to- Bullet Tooth Tony, which is hilarious because they made a point earlier of saying that Bullet Tooth Tony survived six gunshots in the same instance. Yeah. And then killed a guy, but he didn't survive. I guess wherever these gunshots went. That's it, man. That's it. You get it. You get one bullet in the right spot, and that's that. It's all she wrote. Um, also, you know what? We talk about the actual boxing match at the end because I don't know if this was just me, but I, it kind of, it kind of reminded me a bit of like it looked like a little bit of Raging Bull uh, influence, mm-hmm. with like the kind of the music, the kind of lyrical way. Yeah. Like the music and kind of the way they were moving at times and the slow motion reminded me a lot of that. Now, what about, I haven't seen these movies, but what about the uh, laying a foundation for what Guy Ritchie later did in the Sherlock films? So I've seen some of the the stuff with him with this like slow motion and freezes and things like that. Obviously in that movie, it's like playing out Sherlock's uh, plan. Although I think in Sherlock Holmes, there's more of like the, when he punches people, there's more of like the skin flapping that I don't think is really in this. You but get, you, there's more. You get more freeze frames of like fucked up faces they make after they get hit. Yeah, or like one of the great moments of this movie when Jason Statham says, uh, "When you when you see your life flash before your eyes, you don't actually see your life flash before your eyes. You just make a stupid fucking face." Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I just I thought it. I thought I 
I thought there was some raging bull in the, in that. Um, and it does feel like at times like it's like a sports movie with the big game at the end because mm, yes. that's the whole that's what we're building towards is the boxing yeah. match. And uh, yeah, I think that that's pretty much all I have. I think that's what I got too. Um, I want to read you a couple of little bits of trivia here. Please do. Uh, Brad Pitt's character and his indecipherable speech was actually inspired by a lot of critics' complaints about the accents of the characters in Lock, Stock, and Two Smoker Barrels. <laughs> See? He reads the fucking critics. That's nice. Guy Ritchie decided to counter these criticisms by creating a character that not only couldn't be understood by the audience, but also couldn't be understood by the characters in the movie. <laughs> that was his little... Okay, well, here, no one will know what he's saying. I mean, of course, and you, you look back at Lockstock, there was that whole scene where they put subtitles in because the guy who was telling the story was speaking in, like, Cockney rhyming slang. So they had to have the subtitles on there for the Americans to actually know what was going on. Right, but I think, I don't know which ones, probably not, like, you know, more reputable ones, but apparently some of them were saying, oh, the accents were hard to understand. It's like, Okay. Well, then I guess you don't watch British films very often. <laughs> so I mean, like I get, like I could say the same thing about Kess, but Kess is yeah. still a great movie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Apparently, when Vinny and Soul are sitting outside uh, the bookies, about to uh, about to give him the diamond, um, the man that approaches the car is not Bullet Tooth Tony. It was a lookalike because Vinny Jones could not show up for shooting that day because he was in jail for fighting the night before. Ah, well. <laughs> Um, at the boxing match, the producers couldn't actually afford to have enough extras. So whenever the camera angle changes, the extras just move around. So if you look closely <laughs> at the scene, every angle, it's like the same, the same group people. of people. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Uh, Jason, I got to tell you, well, first of all, Brick Top is involved in dogfighting in real life. Alan Ford is a vegetarian and animal rights activist, which I thought was kind <laughs> of that, that's really cool. That's like Archie. It's like Archie like Bugger being being played by uber liberal Carol uh, O'Connor. Right. <laughs> yeah. That that make that makes me like that character more because I'm like, oh, he's not just doing this because he's like, it's just like me. Yeah. No. He he knew what he was doing. <laughs> so I'm gonna blow your mind. I don't know if you already know this, but do you know who was originally gonna play Brick Top? Try to think of a, uh, an old British actor who was almost dead at the time. Uh, was it Christopher Lee? It was me. Oh, Sean Connery, really? Sean Connery. So Connery uh, read the script. He liked it. He wanted to. He wanted to watch Lockstock Two Smoking Barrels. So Matthew Vaughn. We talked about him. You know, Kingsman. He was a producer yeah. of Guy Ritchie's movies, though. Layer Cake. Yeah, um, he uh, kind of quickly arranged a screening for uh, Sean Connery at, you know, really short notice. Connery showed up, he watched the movie, and he turned around when it was done. He said, that is a good film, and you're not going to be able to afford me. <laughs> then he walked off. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. Because he watched the movie, and he clearly saw the smaller budget. And yeah. he was like, I'm not doing it for peanuts. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? And great as Sean Connery is, glad he wasn't in it because I, Alan Ford is fantastic, and I couldn't well, I imagine think, anybody else in the role. I think it would be too, too distracting. Might be because I mean like, you, you got Brad Pitt in there, and you got Benicio del Toro. You need Sean Connery too. And, yeah, and Brad Pitt is not distracting because I think he's doing something completely different from what he usually does. But I think Sean Connery playing that kind of role, it'd be too much like oh, Sean Connery's playing a role. Babe, I'll tell you, not only could they couldn't afford Sean Connery, babe, they couldn't afford Sean Connery's hairpiece. Oh, God, Dennis. <laughs> well, you what? get out of here, Dennis. I'm going to. I told you to get out of here. You get out of here. Nom, 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 nom. You get out. 
Yeah, get Dennis, there, just because you. you did Bordello of Blood for the money doesn't mean you need to take it out on everyone. You love that movie. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, oh, I don't like him, fellas. I'm sorry. Get back to your podcast. Thanks, Jimmy. No problem. You're a good man. You're a good, good man. man. Jim. Good man, Jim. So yeah, um, that's uh, that's that's pretty much it, man. Uh, the, no this awards. Thing, this no nothing. Nothing. Not no Oscars, no Baftas, <sighs> nothing. But I will tell you that this cost uh, ten million dollars, ten million dollar budget. Wow. And uh, do you want to venture guess as to how much it made? Oh, I think you can ask me how much Brad Pitt got paid out of it. Uh, uh, oh, I mean, I would say he took a reduced salary for I sure. I would say. I would say. How much did this movie make? I feel like this was a hit, so I'm going to say seventy-five million. You're not far off, but it actually made $83.6 million. That's a reasonable return on a $10 million investment, that is I'd say. eight times the money plus. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, this um, this movie uh, reception was actually lower than I thought. But on Rotten Tomatoes, this film has a rating of 74%. Um, the critical consensus reads, though perhaps a case of style over substance, I disagree. Mm. Guy Ritchie's second crime caper is full of snappy dialogue, dark comedy, and interesting characters. Yes. Um, the film received mostly positive review- reviews, but some commented negatively on some of the similarities in plot, character, setting, theme, and style between this and Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. Mm-hmm. In Roger Ebert's review, he actually only gave this movie two out of four stars. Ooh. He wrote that while ostensibly rooted in the London underworld, Pitt's Irish traveler community were the most interesting element of the plot, and the film's clearest predecessors were all-American Dick Tracy comics, Damon Runyon stories, and zany Marx Brothers comedies. He raised the question of, what am I to say of Snatch, Richie's new film, which follows the Lockstock formula so slavishly it could be like a new arrangement of the same theme song. <laughs> um, and again, these are I'm just pointing out the negative ones because... Basically, everyone else liked it. But yeah. uh, New York Times said Mr. Ritchie seems to be stepping backwards when he should be moving ahead. Um, but uh, some the negative ones seem to pretty much agree with Ebert's comment that the movie is not boring, but it doesn't build and it doesn't arrive anywhere. However, the movie did go on to develop a cult following. And it actually, I don't know if this still stands, but for a while it was in IMDb's top 250 rated films. Wow. But Jason, I want to know if it's within your IMDb top 250 rated films. Tell us about this movie. What do you, what do you, what do you think? I, I like this movie. I, I like this movie back when I saw it back in the day. It was a revelation because of its editing and everything. It was uh, it was in your face and over the top without being annoying like uh, behind enemy lines, say. Uh, oh, great with, movie. With the, yeah, with the editing. Uh, but this movie holds up. It's still a great gangster picture. I think it stands apart from Lockstock. I know there's similar territory, but that's okay. You can do that. And he took everything he learned on Lockstock, which was a great movie and made an even better movie. And it holds up to this day. It's a great example of his filmography. And if you have a chance, maybe uh, don't watch Swept Away or King Arthur. You can watch this one. Yeah. And maybe like, uh, what's the other one? Rock and Rolla apparently. Yeah. Isn't that good? I I saw that. I don't remember anything about it. That's always a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> is when nothing sticks with you. That's usually yeah. the sign of a great film. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, I thought I was going to be going into this one a little bit more defensive, kind of defending Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels being on the list instead of mm-hmm. this. But I agree. Having seen this, I think this is his more polished movie. Yeah. I think there's something to be said about the sloppiness, kind of charming sloppiness of his last movie. But, mm-hmm. um, but I think... 
and I'm going to say it right now. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to make it well known right now. This is going on instead of Lockstock. 100%. I think this is the movie that is probably the most, in my mind anyways, the most representative of Guy Ritchie's work over his career. Like, this is the one that I always go back to. He's made good movies since. He's made bad movies since. But ultimately, it all comes back. Snatch is the movie that will be on his gravestone. Yeah. And I don't, yeah, we're just going to Guy Ritchie, he loved Snatch. Yep. <laughs> he loved it. Loved it. Um, no, I do think, yeah, I think, I, and I don't think you need both on there. I think Lockstock and Snatch are similar enough, but mm-hmm. that this is the stronger film that I think... Just putting this movie on for Guy Ritchie on that list is enough. Like I hey, think, you know I what? think we've got it. We can't blame the BFI on this one because you know the movie wasn't made when they made the list. So uh, the movie was made when the Empire list came out. Yes, the Empire list for sure. And then that's what Lockstock is on. Oh, okay, right, okay. <laughs> Jason, we talked about it like a mere weeks ago. <laughs> I know time has no meaning, Brennan. <laughs> but you know what? That yeah, there you go. So right now we're saying that the snatch. Is going on the BFI somewhere. Somewhere. Yeah. It better. Uh, so, uh, yeah. I, I mean, it's great. Yeah, again, I agree. It's a great movie. It's uh, it's it's the Guy Ritchie movie to see. If you're going to see one Guy Ritchie movie, you mm-hmm. should see this. If you're going to see two, then see Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking sure. Barrels. And, and if, if you're going to see three, three, Swept Away. Yeah, baby. Madonna, <laughs> come on. <laughs> no, I'd probably say, like, Sherlock Holmes or something. <laughs> Or the man from Uncle, underrated. Oh, didn't see it. Yeah, pretty good. Henry Cavill using his real voice, crazy. Ooh. But on that note, we are done with that. We are kaput ski with that ski, and we are gonna go back to our list now. Jason, normally I know we would go back to the wheel, but we are in October. It is spooky season. Ooh. So I thought for the last two Mondays. Of this month. And by the way, one of them is going to land directly on Halloween. Um, I thought it'd be fun if we do uh, two of the, maybe the only two horror movies on the list. That seems appropriate. That are left. um, Because horror is always so overlooked. But so next week, I think it's time to talk about The Descent. Okay. A movie I've heard of, but never seen. Featuring a bunch of ladies. So I'm sure there'll be a lot of complaints from us about how there's no men in this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, taking taking jobs away from underprivileged white men. That's right. What, what is a movie if there's not a man talking to another man in it? If how am I to identify with a film when no one looks like me? Yeah, I mean, what am I supposed to do? Like empathize with people that look different than, like, than me? What are you talking about? What, what am I? What do I? What do I know about chicks? Yeah, what are they, they're like a whole different species. They got they got like different stuff down there. They got all that period stuff going on. I don't know what's happening. I don't know nothing about bleeding unless I scrape my knee. Yeah, and that I don't need no tampon. I just get myself a bad day. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Scene. So next week we are gonna watch the descent, and it's the not descent. based on the computer game descent. I looked into it. It is not. It is not about a guy flying around in a bunch of tunnels shooting robots. No, but it's not too far removed from that. <laughs> There's no robots, sorry. Oh shit. But it is a bunch of but a bunch of ladies who end up in a cave and spooky things happen. 
So we'll talk about the uh, not lesbianism. Oh, we'll talk okay. about the descent next week. I'll still give it a chance. Okay, thank you. I appreciate your commitment to the podcast. <laughs> um, we'll talk about it next week. Um, but until then, Jason, they can find us all over the interwebs. They can find us on all the podcast apps. They just need to search for us. They type in the search bar for screen and country. You can find us on Facebook. Type it in the search bar on Facebook for screen. And country. You can find us on Twitter at FSAC pod. That's for screen. And country. Podcast. And of course, our home base is Age of Radio. Just go to ageofradio.org slash for screen. And country. And listen on any podcast app you like. Jason, uh, you're on the internet sometimes over on uh, uh, Truth Social. Where can they find Uh, you? No, no, no. I I closed that account. I'm exclusively on Twitter now. I signed a deal. I'm I'm a Twitter exclusive. You can find me at Jason D. McLeod. That is M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Am I verified? No. But you know what? I don't need it. But Jason, are you on Be Real? (laughs) No, but I see see Be Reals occasionally in my timeline, and that's fun. I'm on Be Real. Oh, congratulations. I mean, it is named after you, so... Thanks. I made sure that it was not like some weird conservative thing okay. first. So <laughs> you know, we're good. Is, is, is it owned by the Chinese government? I don't know. Um, I mean, I hope so. Well, it's funny. Um, it's funny when I when I <laughs> I heard about some uh, Mariah was telling me about some app that was like similar to TikTok, and she was like, "It looks interesting." And I looked it up. I was like, "Don't go! Don't go on it! Don't go on it! Don't go on it!" <laughs> it's basically like all the people that got kicked off of TikTok. Uh, it's that kind talk. of thing. It's it's the it's the parlor of TikTok. Oh, parlay, yeah. parlay! Don't say that. Oh no, Jason! No. Oh, for fuck's sake! I heard your power went out last week. And don't worry, I brought you lots of candles. Okay, hold on, Jacques Parlay. Why do the candles all say twenty percent off parlor? And why are you charging people for signing up for parlor? Only Jason is charged because he is a silly boy, and I want him to start using parlay more often. I don't know why you think charging me would make me use it. Oh, Jason, I give you free cookies. All right, all right. Let's get this frog out of here. You you can come out of here. Oh, oh, Jimmy Stewart, I am such a fan. I I killed a lot of Germans for your people, and you come in here and mess up my friend's podcast. Well, that's not going to happen. No, 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 wait, Jimmy Jimmy Stewart. I love uh, Monsieur Smith because of Washington. Well, thank you, but I'm assuming you went to challenge uh, uh, Democratic politicians. Listen, listen, I, I'll tell you about my new movie I'm going to be in. Yeah, You want to hear about it? Oh, yes, please. Yeah, it's called ja- uh, Jacques, get the fuck out of this room. How about oh, that? Yeah, get the oh, fuck Jimmy. out of here. Oh, ow, ow, That's Jimmy. right, yeah, yeah, you do what you want it. Oh, oh, why are you strapping this jetpack to me? Oh, I'm just going to hit this button here, and oh. I'm going to send you back to where you oh. come from. Uh, jetpack. Oh, Jimmy. Ribbit. Sorry about that, fellas. Go ahead and wrap up. Jesus, we're gonna, are we going to get out of here? today thanks jim you're, you're always vigilant appreciate it oh that's okay fellas love you okay so you're not on that thing no no i'm you on, twitter, on twitter, at twitter jason d mcleod that is m-a-c-l-e-o-d Stop right on by. yeah where they can look at all your new designs of the confederate flag that's right <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna update it we're gonna make it more modern yeah this one is sparkles that's right uh so there you go so next week we'll talk about the descent so join the descent the descent so join us for that um and until then i'll just say to you god save the king uh, and some funny thing and for screen and country i'm brendan and i'm jason bye bye
tell you a story won't take me long taught me the lesson of right from the wrong me and my buddy bluey by name decided to enter the bank robbing game we started to practice the ways and the means taking the pennies from chocolate machines then one dark evening somehow we failed both were arrested and thrown into jail The old lady, oh hot lady, old lady When we were leaving, the warden did say Always remember, crime does not pay So when you are tempted Heed what I say Always remember